and this is one of those passages to where half of the whole chapter is one sentence because they, they give an exclamation and then this sentence of, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so let's do this. We're going to read verses 1 through 4 and then verses 23 through 26. Read this out loud with me as we begin, as it's on the screen. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. Going to verse 23. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state, for his steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For He is good, He is above all things. His love endures forever. Outstretched arm, his love endures forever. For the life that's been reborn, his love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise, sing praise, sing praise. setting sun, the steadfast love of the Lord endures. From the rising to the setting sun, His love endures forever. By the grace of God, we will carry on. His love endures forever. Sing
His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. Sing it again. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Forever you are. Forever you are faithful. Forever you are strong. Forever you are with us. Forever and ever. Forever you are faithful. Forever you are strong. Forever you are with us. Forever and ever. Forever.
taste of what this high and lifted up high above all others God does for us out of Psalm 94 verses 16 through 19 this is the God who is our helper the one who comes to our aid verse 16 it says who rises up for me against the wicked who stands up for me against evildoers if the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have soon lived in the land of silence. And when I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O oh Lord, held me up. And when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Going back to verse 18. Says, when I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O oh Lord, held me up. If we remember nothing else this morning, let us remember that. The steadfast love of the Lord keeps us from falling into our own devices, 
the steadfast love of the Lord holds very lives up every second of our life who we are and so if we know that to be true about our God let us come to him this morning with the cares of our hearts as we just read could I lead us in a prayer from one of the early church fathers this was his prayer back in AD 96 this Clement of Alexandria would you close your eyes I'm going to pray this over us as we continue we ask you master be our helper and our defender we ask rescue those of our number in distress master raise up the fallen Assist the needy. Heal the sick. Master, turn back those of your people who stray. Feed the hungry. Release our captives. Revive the weak. Encourage those who lose heart. Let all the nations realize that you are the only God, that Jesus Christ is your child, and that we are your people and the sheep of your pasture. We ask that you would do these things, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. to the one whose steadfast love held us up. Sing us together. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold life's fearful path for my love is often cold he must hold me fast he will hold me fast he will hold me fast for my Savior loves me so he will hold
our prayer this morning, Jesus. Draw us close to your side and teach us to abide in your love, to abide in your presence, and to know you, to have fellowship with you, to trust in your unwavering hand 
in our life. Lord, I pray that you would just change us. Lord, we are a people here that apart from you, at the core of who we are, we are broken people. Lord, and that we are hopeless to change things ourselves. So I pray this morning that you would break through by the power of your spirit and change our hearts, change our desires, change our wants. Lord, may those line up with you and what you want for this world and for our lives. Lord, when we say mold us and, and make us, Lord, it's more than just a trite phrase, but that it is the cry of our heart. Do things in our midst, the only that you can do. And we trust that you will. But we ask that you would show us your word out of Hebrews 11 today. May it find fertile ground in our hearts pray this in your precious name. Amen. It is ages, um, is it uh, 7 through 10 today? Ages 7 through 10 can be dismissed for Bibleville. morning. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm also just going to ask, uh, hold your finger there and go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 4 and maybe move, if you're willing, maybe move your ribbon there to hold that place for you because we're going to refer to the, the account of Genesis uh, quite a bit today. I have handouts in the back if you're interested in taking notes. Um, it's got some of the cross-references on, uh, on the back of that. So uh, grab one of those if you are so inclined. Um, so a lot of times we speak in principles that are generally applicable but we don't always get down to nitty-gritty stuff, right? And sometimes the Bible does that. It speaks to us in principles, and it doesn't always drill down into like, here's what this looks like. And I'm really grateful for Hebrews chapter 11, because what happens in Hebrews 11 is that in verses 1 and 2, we, we studied this last week, we get this definition and result of faith. And you might be left going, okay, so what? Or... So what does that look like for me? Or how has it looked in other people's lives so that maybe I have something to go on when I try to, 
to have faith, when I try to walk out my faith? What does it look like? Well, Hebrews chapter 11, after verse 2, is just here is what faith has looked like in the lives of some of the people that if you've been around the church for any amount of time, you've probably heard of at least a few. Okay, here's what it's looked like in their lives. Um, and what you're going to find out, uh, if, a matter of fact, if you'll just look at Hebrews 11 with me, what you're going to see is that in verses 4 through 7, uh, we see three men who lived before the flood. Okay, so that's going to be a time marker. Okay, we started with creation in verse 3, and then creation is corrupted, and these faithful men live on the earth, and here are three of them. One of them kind of straddles that line. He existed before the flood, and he lives after the flood. But then you move on to the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, what we would call the patriarch. The period where God took from all the families of the earth, God took one man, and he said, through your family, I'm going to bless the whole world. By the way, that man had no kids. We'll get there in Hebrews 11. And we've been there in the book of Genesis in the last few years. Um, the, the patriarchal period, that's verses 8 through 22, all the way to 22. Then uh, in 23 through 31, it's Moses and Joshua. It's the exodus from Egypt. So that, that, those patriarchal narratives get you to Egypt. You find out at the beginning chapter of, uh, of Exodus 1, the people became slaves in the land of Egypt. And the rest of the book of Exodus is telling how God takes a people from himself, rescues his people by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He rescues them and brings them out of uh, Egypt through the hand, by the hand of his servant Moses. And then uh, through the story of uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you, you get to the end of Moses' ministry and Joshua leads the people in Moses' place and takes them uh, into the promised land. Okay, so you have Moses and Joshua. And then, that's verses 23 through, 20 through 31. And then 33 through 40, he, the author kind of says, look, if I keep going, I'm going to run out of time and probably ink and probably space. So it would, time would fail for me to mention. And he starts to name people. He names judges and kings. And so he goes into the history of Israel. Uh, and, he ta- and, then, and then he just speaks in generalities about some of the prophets, um, things that happened to them. Uh, and then he finishes up there. But, but he's giving us a, an in-depth look at here, has what, here is what faith has looked like in the lives of people. Like It is through faith, it is by faith that the heroes of the faith became what they were did the things that, that we remember them for, did the things that are written about in the Bible, it's not because they were great. It's not because they were courageous. It's not because they were anything in themselves. It's because they had faith, because they believed God's word and they were committed to following it no matter what. It was faith. It wasn't, I believed in God, so I'm saved, and then I get myself the rest of the way. It was faith. All of faith, all along. That's Hebrews 11. So, today we're going to talk about the three men who lived before the flood. Abel, Enoch, and Noah. 
Okay, so stand with me and let's read Hebrews chapter 11, verses 4 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Because, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, as we read these things, I am just so aware of my incredible inability in a short time to say everything that should be said, everything that could be said about these verses, about these stories. So God, would you help us to get the most important things? Uh, Would you encourage us to live and walk by faith, no matter the cost to us? However you choose to write our story, help us to live by faith. Um, God, you are everything. We are wholly dependent upon you. For life, breath, our existence, our faith, our preservation. And so God, move. We we need miracles in this place. And I thank you that so often you work them by your spirit through your word. And so would you do that? Be pleased to do that in our hearing today, in our hearts today. Change how we live because of what we study today. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. So on your outline, you're going to notice that each man that we're going to study about has uh, a little statement beside his name. Uh, and I'm going to give what I would consider one of, this is not the only way to teach this, this is not the only thing to draw from this, um, But again, time is going to fail us if we say everything that there is to say. So I'm trying to get at what I believe is the most important thing that each man's story commends to us about faith. And then at the end, we'll step back and survey them as a whole and see if we can see some other things about them. So Abel, what does he teach us? He teaches us that faith is our acceptance. Faith is our acceptance, okay? If you go back to Genesis 4, Right, so Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the world. He makes man, uh, his special creation in his image, forms them from the dust of the earth, breathes the breath of life in their nostrils, sets him in a garden after making him uh, a, a helpmate from his rib. Right, this happens. He sets him in the garden. One command. There's one tree. Don't eat that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. Genesis 3, along comes a snake, a serpent. Maybe a dragon, we're not exactly sure. 
the, the language is a little bit uh, unclear as to exactly what it is. Um, but a talking serpent deceives uh, Adam and Eve. Uh, he deceives Eve. Adam, who was standing there, should have crushed the serpent in that moment, did not abdicate his authority to his wife, and they ate of this tree. And they introduced sin and rebellion against God and death into the world. And it's only after that that they begin to have kids. They have two kids at the beginning of chapter 4. After being cast out from the garden as part of their judgment. So they can't take up the tree of life in a sinful condition. right? It's an act of judgment and of mercy that he cast them out of the garden. Because if they were able to eat of the tree of life and live forever in a sinful state, we have a word for that. That word is hell. So he cast them out of the garden in mercy and judgment, and they begin to have kids. And so in chapter 4, this is where we pick up, Genesis 4.1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Pause. Genesis 4 does not tell us why Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's was not. For us to try to answer that, we're pretending we haven't read Hebrews 11 yet. For us to try to answer that is mere pure speculation. Right? This is just what happened. Each of them brought a gift to the Lord. God accepted one and rejected the other. And the one who was rejected, what is his response? It is not humility and repentance and seeking after the Lord, it's anger. It's anger. Okay? The, and, and in his mercy, God asks Cain a question. He says. So he, he do, God does not cut off the relationship just because Cain gets mad and wants to take his ball and go home. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, he warns him now. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Again, here is an invitation to repent and believe. And I believe it's a real one. Like God himself is telling him, I, I am offering you this opportunity. And what does Cain do? How does he respond to God's invitation on the one hand and warning on the other? Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Right? As far as we know, the first child born in the world and the second child born in the world okay, spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. His brother's righteousness brought out such a violent anger in him that he said, He's the, I'm not the problem, he's the problem, his righteousness is the problem. I will eliminate him. Okay? And killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, 
Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Abel was the younger of the brothers, sons of Adam and Eve, after the fall. Right? Um, and we don't know. We don't know why God accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's offering. But we also are studying Hebrews 11. So look back at Hebrews 11 with me. And we actually find out why it was that his sacrifice was greater than his brother's. Like Some people have speculated, well, you know, it says... Uh, in, in Genesis that he brought some of the fruit of the ground and Abel brought the first of his flock, the fatlings, right? They, they try to make it works-based and what Hebrews 11 tells us is it is by faith that Abel offered a greater sacrifice, a more acceptable sacrifice than his brother. It was faith. Now, maybe Abel's faith dictated what he brought but the moral of Genesis 4 is not God likes meat and hates veggies, right? The moral of Genesis 4 is faith is how we're accepted before God. That's what Hebrews 11 is teaching us. Faith is our acceptance. Do you want to be accepted by God on the last day? You must have faith. Faith will dictate what you give to God. But what you give is not the basis of your acceptance. Faith will dictate how you obey God, but your obedience itself by itself is not the basis of your acceptance before God. It is your faith that precedes it. It is not so much what was offered as what was in the offerer, if you will. So Abel had faith and Cain lacked it. And he's stoked toward jealousy, enmity, selfish ambition. And even after being warned, gives vent to his anger and kills his brother. He, sin is crouching at his door. He opens the door, lets it in, and gives it mastery over him. And God tells him, the, the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Abel has died, but his blood still speaks. And what was his blood crying out for? Justice and satisfaction. The ground was forced to swallow the blood of the righteous by faith, Abel. And now Abel was the first but not the last to be persecuted because of righteousness. His faithful righteousness brought out the violent, murderous tendencies of his unbelieving brother. And so I think what our author does here is uh, he says this was his commendation from God and and he takes that point in Genesis 4 of his blood crying out. And he says, it's not just his blood that still speaks. Through his faith, because of his faith, he still speaks. He is still speaking to us. Not just crying out for justice and satisfaction like his blood did. What would Abel be telling us if he were standing right here before us? I believe he proclaims. Number one, the incomparable worth of God to those who believe. He proclaims that. His faith. 
says God is worth everything. That's what faith says. Number two, he proclaims the rightness of righteousness even if we suffer for it. The fact that we might suffer for righteousness or be persecuted for righteousness does not therefore make it wrong to be righteous. It is always right no matter the cost. Does not the blood of every martyr in history proclaim the incomparable worth of God and the rightness of righteousness no matter the cost? This is the witness of everyone who's ever been persecuted or killed for righteousness. What an encouragement to that original audience and to us to remind them that the first, the first death that happened of a human being that we have recorded, the first death was a martyr for righteousness, someone persecuted. If you're writing to a persecuted or under the threat of persecution church, isn't that an encouragement to them? Look, it's happened since the beginning. And Jesus is going to talk about the fact that um, he's saying that, uh, that in that generation where he's living, the blood of Abel all the way to the blood of Zechariah killed at the altar was going to come upon that generation. Like he, Jesus is remembering that Abel was killed for righteousness and that that's been what's happening since the beginning. The wicked persecute the righteous. That's how it goes in a fallen, upside-down, inside-out, backward world. And what an encouragement to us, right? That God is worthy, full stop, period. He's worthy of everything, of all that you have and all that you could possibly give, even the last drop of your blood, the last gasp from your lungs. He's worthy of it. And that it is Always right and never wrong to pursue and walk in righteousness, even if it kills us. Abel shouts, if you believe, God will accept you. And that's worth everything because he is worthy. If you're persecuted, God will still accept you. And it is infinitely better to be accepted by God and killed by people than accepted by people and rejected by God. Amen? Like, that's right. It is better to be an outcast in human society but accepted by God than to be the most popular, most famous, most liked, books read, tweets, retweeted person in all of human history and be rejected by the one person that matters. The one being that matters. And that's God. It doesn't matter. Infinitely better. The blood of the martyrs from Abel to Zechariah to Stephen to Paul has always proclaimed this and it always will because God is really that good. Your faith is your acceptance before God. And at the end of it, that's what matters. Okay. Verses 5 and 6, we start to look at a different character, a man. His name is Enoch. And his story proclaims that faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. Look at Genesis 5 with me. 
Let's read a little bit about his story. Actually, we don't have to read a little bit. We can read his whole story because it's only four verses. He's kind of like uh, Melchizedek in the sense that he's otherwise a minor character in the narrative of Genesis. He gets three, four verses, 21, 22, 23, 24 of Genesis 5. And you probably wouldn't give him a second thought except for one little thing that's said about him. Uh, but even then, it's like, well, that was interesting, but okay, let's move on because we're in the middle of a, a begat section and I got to get through this, right? So well, however it is that you're reading that, like, but he's a minor character that has major lessons to teach us, is my point. He's like Melchizedek in that regard. Again, you read Melchizedek and go, well, that's interesting, but I don't really know what that means for me. And you get to Hebrews, and you're like, oh, that, that means a lot. Um, so look at, look at 521. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Okay. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. You go, what? He, he was not, for God took him. Where's Enoch? I don't know. I haven't seen him for three years. There were no tracks leading in any direction. He's not. <laughs> Can't find him. Um, and, and if you read your footnote, if you're in the ESV with me, the, the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, actually says he pleased God. Right? So he walked with God. He pleased. These are two ways of saying the same thing. This man is shrouded in mystery. And it's only when we get to Hebrews 11 that we really begin to see why that matters like, or what it means for us. So after... Cain and Abel happen. Uh, Abel is killed. They have, Adam and Eve have another son named Seth. And his name sounds like the Hebrew word for appointed or chosen. Okay? And so it's actually from that line that God uh, raises up Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the people of Israel, his chosen seed from whom he's going to bring his appointed son, the king. The Messiah who will bring relief to a sin-ravaged world. So uh, Enoch is in Seth's line. Cain's line like tailspins and spirals down into wickedness and rebellion of every sort. You can read about that in Genesis uh, 4 uh, up to Genesis 5. And in Genesis 5, they have Seth. And from Seth's line, you have Enoch, who is totally different. He's Jared's son. You can read that in 523. And he's Methuselah's father. Now, Methuselah is famous because, as, we, as far as we know, he was the oldest person recorded in the Old Testament. Um, but what we see about Enoch in these verses in, in Genesis is that he walked with God. We see that twice. He walked with God. And the, the other person that's talked about as walking with God is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, and that's Noah. Noah walked with God. Gen uh, Enoch walked with God. This is a way of saying they had an intimate, special relationship with God in which they not only believed in him, but did all in their power to do his will. In other words, we might just say they had genuine, authentic, biblical faith. And they were pleasing to God. 
he says, uh, he was commended as having pleased God. Before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So again, why? Why was Enoch not? Why did God take him? Because he had faith. By faith, Enoch was taken up. That word taken up there in the original language in Hebrews is like removed. (laughs) Removed. Plucked out. Um, Why was Enoch removed? Was it because he was a great guy? He had more hair than others? A little more money? Whatever. Like, No, he, he had faith. It was his faith that made him pleasing to God. It was his faith that helped him to enabled him, right, to please God. And if you're wondering about that, you just read verse 6. Look, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. So he takes that word. He says, this man did this. He was commended as having pleased God because of or by his faith, through his faith. And then he goes on, without faith, you can't please God. You can't please God without faith. All the good that came from Enoch came as a result of his faith. He would not have been said to have pleased God without faith. He would not have been taken or removed or not found without faith. Faith pleases God. And so the question you might ask is, well, why does faith please God? Why does faith please God? I believe... Faith itself is pleasing to God. Like the presence of faith itself is pleasing to God. But that's not all. Faith also, true, genuine, biblical faith. This is Ephesians 2. This is James 1 and 2. This is all throughout the scriptures in the New Testament. Faith, authentic faith, always gives way to real, genuine obedience to God. Always. It's inevitable. It is the logical outcome of trusting God's word is that you follow God's word. You're going to obey. James chapter 2, verse 22. I've I've just chosen this one, although I could point you to a number of places there. James 2, 22. Talking about Abraham. Was not, I'm sorry. um, You see that faith, Abraham's faith, was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. We're saved by faith alone. Amen. But genuine faith is never alone. It always gives way to genuine obedience to the Lord. And we see concrete acts from Abel and Noah We don't have these things recorded of Enoch, but I guarantee you that those things were there. If we were able to like go back in time and watch him live, he was doing the things that the Lord required of him. But Abel brings a sacrifice to the Lord. And Noah builds an ark because that's what God told him to do. Because they believe. It's the same for us. Those are concrete expressions of obedience, reverent fear, humble worship. Faith grants us access to pleasing God, right? So you think about building the ark apart from faith. Well, first of all, he wouldn't have built the ark if he didn't believe. 
But we don't have a record of anybody else building a boat and surviving the flood, do we? They didn't have faith. Like, it's his faith. Um, the, the worship, these two brothers from the same womb are coming and they're worshiping God, each of them bringing an offering. One brings it in unbelief, one brings it in faith. One is accepted, one is rejected. The same acts done in unbelief mean nothing. So faith grants us access to pleasing God, right? But faith also carries us forth into real works for which God created us. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Part of the reason God saved you is that he has good works for you to walk in. And by faith, if you truly have faith, you're going to walk in them. Like This is not just me being like, look, you better get right or get left. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps and work so that God's happy with you. Because if he's not, it's going to be tapping his foot, looking at his watch, angry with it. That's not how we're doing this. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's, that's legalism. That's Phariseeism. What we're after is genuine, authentic faith. And what we're, what we're arguing, because the Bible argues that, is that God saves us and our faith works. So faith pleases God. Yes, amen. And faith occupies itself with pleasing God. Yes, amen. Faith itself pleases God and then faith occupies itself with pleasing God. If you believe that God gave his eternal, precious, unique, only begotten son for you to demonstrate his love and his justice to show and to, and to save you from your sins, if you believe that's true, what wouldn't you want to do to please your heavenly father? What more could he say to you? What more could he do for you to convince you of his love and his goodness than he has already said and done? If, if you believe, what wouldn't you do for him? Faith pleases God. And look... I'm not going to argue that, that this type of thing is about to happen for you. So let me get that out of the way before I say this. But his faith saved him from death. Guess what? Your faith saves you from death. There will be some people who are on the earth alive when Christ returns. And they'll have this like Enoch-like transformative experience um, but, I don't know that that will be you, but your faith will save you from death, from perishing. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But with faith, I would argue it's not only possible to please God, but it's inevitable that we'll please God if we have faith as the Bible talks about faith. Occupy yourself with pleasing your heavenly Father who gave you who gave his son for you to save you from evil works and for righteousness. And then quickly at the end of six there, 
He says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, so those who would be close to God, those who would know God and walk in the type of fellowship with him, right, that Enoch had, that Noah had, they must believe that he exists. That's faith. And that he rewards those who seek him. Now, I'm gonna do a little bit more on this in the newsletter tomorrow. I just believe this is talking about faith. Like the seeking him is from a place of faith. And here's, here's what one of the commentators really struck me with, like kind of punched me between the eyes here. Because, you know, you might be going, well, he rewards those who seek him. Well, that, I mean, that's interesting. He rewards those who seek him. Right? What is the reward? Him. You're not seeking rewards. You're seeking God. Faith wants God. That's what I'm after. That's what I want most. And when that is the desire and the cry of my heart and nothing will hinder me from that, God says, I won't hinder you from that. I'll give you myself. He rewards those who seek him. Um, the, the, same, the same commentator that, that kind of punched me between the eyes, he says this about faith. Here's what faith is. Uh, this, is a, this is not exactly the definition of, one, of verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews. It's a more comprehensive, fuller definition that's taking into account a lot of different scriptures. But he says, um, God rewards those who have faith, that trustful reliance, which finds expression in willing obedience and submission to the sovereign word of God, in grateful acknowledgement of the unmixed goodness of all his works, and in confident recognition of the complete trustworthiness of all his promises. I will share that in the newsletter tomorrow, but for time's sake, I'm going to move on. The point is that those who have faith want God, and God gives them God. Those who have faith want God, and they won't be satisfied with anything less. What are you after? What are you after? What does your heart want? What are you seeking? Now let's turn our attention to Noah, who shows us that faith saves us from judgment. Verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So we're most familiar with this story. Um, and so... For the sake of time, I'm not going to read everything to be found in Genesis 6. If you grab an outline, you can see a lot of that there. Um, but you can also look at Genesis 6. Um, what we find is that Noah was a righteous man who also walked with God. That's chapter 6, verse 9. Um, and, and what we said when we studied Genesis chapter 6 uh, a couple of years ago um, is, is what we're going to say again today. And this is an indication that he had faith, right? Walking with God. It's an indication that he had faith. And if we have any questions about that, we see it here in 11. That's the righteousness that comes by faith. So what was the reason that God warned him? That he had faith. Uh, why did he build the boat? Because he had faith. What was the cause of his reverent fear? 
have faith. What, by what did he condemn the world? By his faith. Like God warned him. Like, like you want to see what it looks like to believe, like to have a conviction about things that you can't see? Look at Noah. God simply spoke a warning to him. I'm going to flood the earth. And then gave a command. You're to build a boat for the saving of your household and the animals. And what does he do? He lives probably in a really dry area, not on a coast. He starts building a boat in the middle of nowhere for like a hundred years, we think. hundred years. Building a boat in faith. I don't know if it rained or not in that time. But he was looking in faith to the future, to events that he couldn't see. And he just obeyed every day. He woke up and cut wood and shaped wood and hammered. I don't know how. I don't know what they used. Did they use pegs? I'm not sure. However he did it, he did that day in and day out for longer than any of us are probably going to live because he believed. It was because of faith that he condemned the world and his faith saved him. And for that matter, his faith saved his family. Now listen, that makes you feel weird. I know. We're gonna put some qualifiers on that in just a sec. But let's not skip over that too much. Because what we're told in Genesis and in Hebrews is not that it was Shem's faith or Ham's faith or Japheth's faith or the faith of their wives that were the reason they were on the ark. Whose faith was it that got those people on the ark? It was Noah's. Look, he says, for the saving of his household. In reverent fear, he made an ark for the saving of his household. Okay? It was on his account that all of his family was in the ark. Now, parents, we know as much as maybe we might want to believe for our kids, we cannot do that. But do we stop to consider the way that our faith and our walk with God can bless our children in real ways? Dads. Your time with the Lord in the mornings or in the evenings, your obedience to the Lord, it matters. And not just for you. Oh, it absolutely matters for you. I'm not saying less than that. But it matters for your wives. It matters for your kids. And guess what? It matters for our church, your obedience. Wives, moms, First Peter actually tells us that by your obedience to the Lord, you might win your disobedient husband. So first, first Peter, let me just, I'm not making it up. I want to read it to you. First Peter 3, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Your obedience to the Lord matters for more than just you. There are spillover benefits to your obedience or consequences to your disobedience. Like it matters. 
I don't think, I, I think in our rush to say, I can't save my kids, which is true, but in our rush to say that, we, we, leave, we, stop, we go way past a lot of other things along the way, like my obedience can bless my children. In God's economy, my obedience does bless my children. My disobedience will hinder them, can hinder them. Of course God can save your kids without you. He doesn't need you, and praise God for that. And of course, we have no guarantees of their salvation. This is, not, this is not like A plus B equals C every time. If you do these things, it will produce this result in your kids, right? I wish we had a formula like that. We don't. Like you're not earning something on their behalf from God. And yet it is true that God regularly, routinely, and miraculously delights to work through believing parents grandparents and family members to bring salvation to the next generation of that family. This is what God loves to do. So don't give up. Again, maybe you don't see the way that your obedience blesses right now. Could we just believe and trust in realities that we don't see and just walk in faith anyway? Isn't that what Hebrews 11 is all about? Okay, so when I think of Noah's faith being the thing that condemned the world, uh, I actually think about Philippians chapter one. And in the, in the young adult Bible study this morning upstairs, we actually talked about this um, in some depth. But if you'll look at Philippians one with me, um, look, uh, it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, stri striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This, this lack of fear or positively this confidence is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So Paul is calling this church to live with gospel unity uh, deep confidence in the Lord, worthy of the calling to which they've been called. And he wants them to have such confidence that they aren't frightened in anything by the opponents that stand against them. And that's a sign to them of their impending imminent destruction, but of believers' salvation. So your, their faith simultaneously displays their share in eternal life and the impending destruction of the world, the unbelieving, unrighteous world around them. Noah's faith was doing that. And our faith does that. It saves us from judgment even as it proclaims an impending judgment. And when Christ comes back, his return, that one event is going to mean judgment for his enemies and salvation for his people. Noah teaches us that our faith saves us from judgment. Right? The saving of his household came through his faith. <clears throat> so I want to step back for a moment and look at, at these three different stories, but this one common theme. Um, so you think about the three men that we've studied and, and the, the different ways that they, that I can't say that they died, that their lives ceased <laughs> on this earth. Their lives on this earth ceased. You have one who was murdered uh, we would say early, for his uh, righteousness. You have one who is simply taken, and then you have one 
who was preserved through judgment and lived on the other side into the new creation. So, and and he, as far as we know, died of natural causes. Right? So three different means of exiting this earthly dwelling. And there are three, and from those three perspectives, each of them commends faith to us. Faith unto death. That's Abel. Faith unto death. Enoch, faith rescues from death. Noah, faith brings us safely through judgment. And it's for all of life, for your whole life. <clears throat> Three men who are all examples of genuine, persistent, persevering faith. And some of them, I'm thinking of Enoch, who was 365 years old, and Noah, who was over 600 years old. Again, we take this as a matter of faith that the Bible is true. Over 600. They persisted in genuine faith for longer than we will live. And, but, but I, think we, I don't think we would be best served only to see these men as examples of faith. Because as, as great of examples of faith as they were, each actually also points in his own way past himself to the work of Jesus. Like they, they're not just saying, hey, just look at me. They're all, they would be committing to us, look at me, follow me as I follow Christ. So look past me to him. Right. Jesus, the one from Seth's line who brought relief to the world, he was killed for his righteousness. The judgment he endured was worse than the flood as God's righteous anger at our sin and wicked violence was spent upon him, and even though he had no sin. He did not waver in his faith, and he never ceased from his righteousness, even though it meant death for him. And it was because of his reverence that came from his faith that he was ultimately saved from death. Look back at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. We studied this a while back. It says, In the days of his flesh... Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And so you go, well, his prayers must not have been very effective then because he still died. But look, and he was heard because of his reverence. So what happened? He was raised from the dead. He was saved from death after dying, which is actually a little bit better than Enoch, right? He went through death. And was raised. Never to die again. And he was taken up to heaven. And is now himself the source of life. For all who call upon his name. So these ancient men. They're not only examples of what to do. They're examples of where to look. They're pointing us to Christ. To faith. They commend faith in him. And I would just argue that we have all the more reason to believe. Not only because of their example, but because we've heard the good news of the gospel and have the Holy Spirit to indwell our hearts by faith. So I can't say for sure exactly what faith tomorrow is going to look like in your life. What faithfulness will require of you tomorrow. But my prayer is that 
you have taken heart from these examples to look to Christ in all things and that whatever it requires of you tomorrow, you will trust that in your unseen tomorrow, God will meet you there. He will be enough for you there and he will show you what to do and then will give you the faith to obey. And you just walk it out, believing, trusting. Because faith is our acceptance. Faith pleases God and faith saves us from judgment. If you do not believe, if you're here and you don't know God, you've not come to know God through Christ, you've not turned from your sins and trusted Him, there's no better time than right now. I'm pleading with you to turn away from your sins and turn to God through Jesus. He died in your place for your sins so that you can live. And He is alive. And as our King, He is inviting you into forever life with him. So repent of your sins and trust in him. Uh, if you want to pray about that, I would love to pray with you down front. I will be here in just a moment uh, when we kind of have that time where we do uh, an invitation. Um, please come. Surrender yourself to Jesus. He's really that good. He's really worthy. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for these moments together. Thank you for um, these men and women, boys and girls gathered here. I trust, God, that you're able to speak even better than I know. And I pray that you have shown us what we needed to see and that you would continue to give us faith to obey, faith to walk with you even when our eyes don't see it, even when what we see looks the opposite of what your word says. Help us to continue to trust. Help us to have faith unto death, to believe that faith preserves us from the second death and that it brings us safely through judgment. Lord, as we turn our attention to the table, I pray that, that we would turn our eyes to Christ, the great object of our faith. Please do your work among us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come to the table of the Lord. And uh, this is a table that is for the faithful, those filled with faith, those full of faith. Um, it's not for people who are perfect. It's not for people who have had a good week. It's for believers who will turn from their known sins and who are trusting in Jesus right now. So if that describes you, you're welcome at the table. Um, there's bread on the table and it's broken. And that broken bread signifies the body of Jesus that was placed on a cross, nailed to a tree, right? Where he, his body was pierced. It was broken instead of ours. And the, the cup on the table is full of the crushed fruit of the vine. Jesus was crushed instead of us. His blood was poured out instead of ours. And we've learned in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Um, 
And so he's done all of the work necessary to reconcile us to God by living a righteous life, dying a death in our place that we deserved, and he is alive forevermore. And this table proclaims that message. It's a table for those who believe in these things. If you are not a believer, don't come to the table. It's not going to go well for you to eat and drink in disobedience and in unbelief. Um, This table that itself represents salvation for God's people also represents judgment upon his enemies. And we don't want you to eat and drink judgment upon yourself. So take Jesus instead of the bread and the cup today. If you want to pray with somebody, I'll be down front uh, here. You can come to the, the steps and kneel if you want to do that. Just you respond as the Lord leads um, in whatever way you believe he's leading. Um, but examine yourselves in this time and then come eat and drink. As we gather at the table of the Lord, we remember the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So God, it is in anticipation of the coming of the Lord. It is as a celebration of the first coming of the Lord that we want to eat and drink in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing in every respect. So God, would you show us our sin and let your kindness lead us to repentance? And would you build us up in faith even as we come to partake? Help us to express our unity as believers who are indwelt by the Spirit at this table. And I do pray that you would lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Please work, please move among us. Christ, our King, meet us at the table and help us to celebrate the life that we have in you. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Table's open. See on the hill of Calvary My Savior bled for me My Jesus set me that give me life grace flowing from his son no greater sacrifice what he's done what he's done all glory and the honor to the son my sins are forgiven future is heaven I praise God for what 
In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. It says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we move into a time of prayer for, uh, for missions. And it is this month that we are praying about the Georgia Barnett missions offering. Um, we're going to forgo a video for today. Uh, and, and what we're going to do instead is we're just going to pray uh, about the, uh, the way that part of what we give um, supports the WMU. That's the Women's Missionary Union. Um, and so they, they give a scholarship, uh, and I think it happens at LC, to a high school girl coming out and going and wanting to kind of go into ministry. And so uh, the money that we give, we're trying to highlight the different ways that the money for the Georgia Barnett offering, the Louisiana State Missions offering, uh, the ways that, that that money is used. And so we talked about disaster relief. Um, so let's take this opportunity right now to pray for... Uh, the the use of that money toward uh, I, I'm not sure who or which ladies have it. You can pray for them. God knows who they are. Uh, but let's also pray for LC LCU down here. Um, there are also unbelievers at LCU that need to hear the gospel. And so, like, let's pray that God would do a work there. So pray for LCU uh, and pray for the way that our giving supports LCU. And then pray also for uh, the WMU scholarship. Thank you uh, that right down the road from us, there is a, an explicitly Christian university. Um, and thank you for the way that our giving helps support that. I, I just ask for a consistent, faithful, genuine, authentic Christian witness uh, from the highest levels in that school all the way down to those um, who are just part-time employees even security guards and people that clean the floors. God, thank you uh, for them. And, and, and just pray for a consistent biblical witness to Christ. And I ask that you'd raise up believers from the students there, raise up the next generation of people who will go out and tell about Christ. And God, whoever received these WMU scholarships that our money that we give helps to support, I pray uh, that, that you would make that young lady faithful to you. Uh, prepare her and use our giving um, to, to prepare another young lady uh, to, to go out and effect uh, change for the gospel's sake. Um, so God, direct our hearts in what we should give um, and help us, God, to do all in our power to impact lostness around us in our state, in our country, and in this world task is great, but you are greater and you have overcome the world. And so we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
this week officially kicks off the week of prayer. So I'm going to be posting on our Facebook group uh, the, the different things to pray for day by day. Um, you're all, you can also find that uh, online. If you just type in Georgia Barnett Week of Prayer, it will come up and you can click on it. And you can see what each day is. You can also grab, we're trying to p- take barriers down for this. You can also just grab a brochure. Vanna, I mean, Alex is in the back and he is uh, showing off the brochure. We have plenty of those. So grab one and just pray day by day through those. So let me give you uh, a handful of announcements. First of all, we talked about how the way that we parent can impact our kids. Well, we have a parenting class that's currently happening. It's going at four o'clock today in here. Childcare is fully provided. Um, so that's happening today at four. Tomorrow, there is a Mana House meeting uh, for all the volunteers or would-be volunteers for Mana House. Uh, if you're interested in getting involved or if you are already involved, uh, please plan to be here for that. That is at 6.30, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to check on that. Yes, 6.30, tomorrow night. Uh, I think you'll be in the fellowship hall over there. Uh, Ladies' gathering is Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. Men's gathering is Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. I'm so sorry. Uh, Details will follow because we're still trying to figure out exactly what that's going to look like. Um, We're having a family meeting. That's another way of saying a members meeting on Sunday next week. So please plan to be here for that. Uh, And then October the 8th is now the date of baby dedication. It was in September. We've had to move it to October. So October the 8th will be baby dedication. Anybody else have an announcement to make? Okay. All right, everybody. Can we stand? We have one more thing before we dismiss. Um, We, this is our fourth week in the new city catechism. And so this is just a series of questions and answers, just essentials of our faith. So we're in week four. So the question will be on the screen. I'll ask the question, and then can we say the answer out loud? So the question is this. How and why did God create us? God created us male and female in his own image to know him, love him, live with him, and glorify him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to his glory. It is right this week as we go that those of us who were created by God, which is everybody in this room, that we would go and glorify God with every word that we say, every action that we take. So let's go forth in the power and the presence of the Spirit. I love you. You're dismissed.